Hi, everyone. Welcome back to an episode of the Freedom Podcast. If this is your first time with us, I am Alexis. I co-host the show with Katie. And this season, we talked about having more guests on the show. And I got to meet an amazing person um, named Brendan on social media, of course, because that's where I always meet the best people. Um, And so he decided to come on the show. I asked him to come on, and we're going to talk about um, his testimony. We're going to talk a little bit about church hurt. And yeah, we're just going to kind of see where it goes. Um, but anyways, this is Brendan. Um, go ahead, introduce yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Tell us about you. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Katie and Alexis. And uh, it's it's an honor to be on. My name, my name is Brendan. I live in Washington State. And a little bit about my journey, so to speak, uh, just to talk about who I am. Like, I'm into weightlifting. I'm a teacher. I teach Spanish. Married. I have a seven-year-old daughter. I have a cat. She's one. She's pretty much my other child. Um, and I live in Washington State. It's always rainy. So the stereotype is always true about that. Like, like if you want to move to Washington State, don't move there for the weather. Um, but uh, my faith journey, my whole family's actually lived in Washington State on my dad's side since like 1790. Um, oh, wow. Before it was even Washington State, it was Washington Territory. They were like fur traders. And oh, wow. they... Yeah. So like on my dad's side, he, I have deep roots in Washington. So like my dad's side, my great, 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 great grandfather was one of the deciding votes to move Washington territory to Washington state. His name's Etienne Lucille. You can find him on Wikipedia. Ended up teaching Washington state history as a social studies teacher. So I always tell my students like, you owe me. So I will take tribute, like anything. And they're like, they're so, kids are so silly. Like, they'll just like, here's a piece of gum or here's an app. They'll like, offer like, you to yeah, take it. <laughs> and it's so cute. I love teaching. I love my job. Um, and then my mom's side of the family immigrated from Southern Europe and the Balkans from Croatia and Serbia. And they escaped um, from World War One and the Boer War, funny enough. One of my uh, great, 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 great grandfathers escaped from one of the first concentration camps in South Africa. He was detained as a spy and he escaped. He's the only Croatian known to like the historians down there to have escaped. And he made his way all the way to San Francisco. And they settled in a place called Gig Harbor, Washington, which is just, it used to be an old Croatian fishing family. And it's very Slavic. And it's just like, that's my family background, very traditional, very Roman Catholic. And that's what I grew up in. And so Grew up in a very like small town, traditional, like very much like uh, you you want to honor the family first, not the individual. And so like that was my I, I mean, I grew up in a town that barely spoke English and oh, wow. that was my upbringing. And I didn't grow up in a Christian family. My mom and dad didn't raise us. They raised us Catholic. And I remember going to. um you know, the first, uh, the first communion where you're doing confirmation and all that. I remember doing that as a kid. And, um, I did not grow up in a Christian family. I would describe it. I grew up very much like no relationship with the Lord, no concept of what that meant. And, uh, I grew up in, uh, that small town environment and I went to high school, played high school football, was really good at it and got a scholarship to go play college football at a small college called Eastern Oregon. 
And that's at Eastern Oregon. I have this radical encounter with the Lord and I get saved. Um, God actually came to me in a dream and showed me the very first Bible verse I've ever seen. It was 1 Corinthians 1, 9. And I wow. looked it up in the Bible the next day. And it's God who is faithful has called you in a fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. And I, and I just was like immediately like, no. Like, I must be on drugs. Like, I did not see that. Like, it must be an hallucination, if you will. Like, that can't be real. And so then um, I go, and I'm studying history at the time, total nerd, like, admittedly so. Like, I read books all the time. Like, I'm a gamer. Like, I'm a total nerd. Like, so, like, yeah, I'm into fitness and all that. But I'm also, like, like I was trying to get my PhD in history and all this stuff. And so I went to my history advisor at college. And I'm like, Hey, I had this experience and he's a rabid, rabid atheist. And I'm like, Hey, like, what do you think about this, Greg? And, uh, he's like, listen, I'm gonna give you a book. It's about how the new Testament's been corrupted over time and you should read it and you'll find the truth if you look really hard. And I took that last part really, really like to heart. If you find, if you look with all your heart, you will find the truth. And so, like, I started reading New Testament scholarship. I started reading, like, Bart Ehrman misquoting Jesus, what he gave me. Read that. And then I read N.T. Wright and Gary Habernas and then all these other, like, Gerg Ludemann, like, old German New Testament theology and New Testament scholars. Um, and then I started studying philosophy and philosophy of religion. Like, you know, is there such thing as a God? Like, does God exist? Looking at arguments for and against God. Um, and then I looked at the Book of Mormon and Islam. And I looked at, like, basically, I took this huge three-year journey of studying the world religions. And I came back to Christianity every time because I was blown away by the truth of Christianity. Yeah. And, and just not even that, like, I didn't want it to be true. That's the crazy thing. I did not want it to be true because I knew yeah. um, I would have to change my life. Like, I would have to stop having sex. I would have to stop doing drugs. I would have to stop drinking. Like I would have to surrender my life mm. to him because my life is no longer my own. Whereas I saw like other religions more appealing. Like I can just kind of live my life accordingly. Mm. And so I came to the like conclusion, like Christianity had to be true. And I remember myself when you're in college, like in my duplex, getting on my knees being like, all right, God, like you win type of deal. Like <laughs> I'll be a Christian, but I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. And and, um, and God's like, he took an inch. I gave him an inch and he took a mile because after that, like I had a great theoretical knowledge of who God was, but I didn't know him personally still until I went to Foursquare church in our town. And the only reason why I went there, they had food and they really liked the football team. They were like, yeah, like, you know, we like the college football. I'm like, sweet. I like these people. They're my people. And I was like, football was my God. Like I worship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I went there and the people were so weird to me. I mean, they were raising that. Like, you got to imagine, like I came from like the most liturgical church background. Like, yeah. Catholicism, and I see these people raising hands in the air, speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. I'm like, these people are so weird. And I like, don't like them. They're creepy. But I kept coming back. I, I kept coming back for some reason. I was like, I don't like these people. So you'll be back next Sunday. Yeah, sure. Why not? Like, yeah. uh, just like a Holy spirit thing. Like there was something that drew me in and there was this guy there, the worship pastor, his name's Jeff. He's the guy who discipled me and led me to Christ. 
Um, he just poured into my life. Every Monday, he would have me over his house, hanging out with him and his daughter and his wife. And he would just pour into me and I would ask him questions. And he would, he would always like, he would always just do it in such a gracious way and love me. And like, mm. I was doing ridiculous stuff at this point. And mm. he knew like what my lifestyle was. And just like, I was so ins- <laughs> like, looking back at the time, I'm like so insufferable. And that guy just loved me so well. He poured into mm. me and I had nothing to offer him. I wasn't this like theologian. I wasn't this like Bible teacher at this point. Like I was nothing and he loved me, mm. not for what I was giving him or what I could mm. give him, but just, he just loved me. And I saw Christ in him. And I remember at one point, uh, go to, to Sunday services, they're playing the Phil Wickham song, You're Beautiful. And that line, um, and every time- I, I love I, that song. Yeah, by, I, sorry. Yeah. Like, I'm going to probably cry thinking about it. Yeah. That line where it says, I see you there on the tree hanging. You bled and you died and you rose again for me. And it just, it cut me mm. to the quick. Mm. I, I came to the realization that I'm so bad. I'm yeah. so much worse than I ever thought, but I'm so beloved and accepted in him that I could ever mm. dare to hope for. And I was like, I think I'm a Christian now. And I remember that was the first time I raised hands to a song. I understood what that meant. I understood mm. that that meant surrender. And many look foolishness in the eyes of the world, but into the Lord, like you're giving him love and adoration out of response, what he's done for us yeah. and how he went to the cross and willingly gave his life. And not only that, he was glad to do it. And yeah. I remember Jeff coming up to me and he's like, I saw you raise hands. Like, cause I always tell that I thought it was. And uh, he, and I told him, like, bro, I think I'm a Christian now. And he's like, welcome to the family. And then that was like our inside um, joke. Every time he'd play that song, he'd look at me like, give me a scoop. <laughs> you know? Because every time I cry, I'm like, oh, you, you jerk. I hate yeah. you. Mm. The song. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Um, wow. So that's how I got saved. And they discipled me. And um, they, Jeff realized pretty quick. He's like, dude, you're calling ministry. You're called mm. to be a pastor. And I was like, Jeff, I see the emails you get. I see what you deal with on a daily basis. Mm. Like you're pulling people out of the the Green Mill Motel in Legrand and they're drug addicts and you're pulling them out. And like, I don't want that life. Like, yeah. you, know, you get blasted on a daily. And he's like, yeah. he said something that was so profound. And sometimes I'll repeat it to other people that reach these crossroads where they, they are called to mm. serve in ministry. He said, Brendan, you are screwed in such a good way. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm screwed. He's like, dude, you cannot outrun God's grace. Hmm. Like God's called you to this. And you wow. won't be satisfied until you pursue the Lord in this. Hmm. Like anything else, well, God will bless it, but it will yeah. not, it will, it will not be the ultimate plan that God has for you. Like you are called to ministry. And right hmm. from there from then. Um, I left college. I left the grand moved back to Washington and, uh, Jeff and a lot of people at the church were prophesizing over me. Um, this is a very mm. charismatic church. So like mm. they were prophesizing over me, like in a month, you're going to preach your first sermon. And I was like, dude, I don't know anything about church culture where I'm at right now. Like nothing. I don't know anybody. And literally a month later, I go to young adult ministry and they're like, Hey, like, do you want to preach a sermon? Wow. Like, 
And I preached my first sermon in front of 200 young adults. Uh, this is circa 2013. And I'm like, uh, and people were like immediately saying it, like, you're called, you're called. Hmm. Um, so like that was my introduction into Christianity and how I got propelled into ministry. I mean, it, it happened fast. Um, and then from there, I went through the ringer with churches, with spiritual abuse, with just seeing that I saw the good side of ministry when I got saved. Then I saw the ugly when I came back home and realized mm. how broken um, church leadership is, how the church lacks character and a lot mm. of these positions of power and positions of leadership, people that should be shepherds, that are not shepherding, that are not yeah. teaching God's word, that are not loving people well. Um, and I saw a lot of gaslighting. I saw a lot of manipulation. I was, gosh, I mean, I was a part of four ministries. Yeah. Four ministries that just tanked because of moral failings mm. um, and just spiritual abuse essentially is what mm. happened. The last ministry I was a part of, I was working at a private school as a Christian private school teacher. And literally like the day after I signed the contract to go teach there, um, huge sex scandal breaks out. The lead pastor had to resign right. because, you know, there were multiple women that he was having a marriage relation. And there was other accusations too, but um, it, it caused this huge rift in our community in Tacoma. And like he, you know, signed this huge agreement where he's like, Hey, I'm not going to plant a church within 50 miles in this certain time period. And literally like a month later, he's planting a church right down the road. Um, and like totally unrepentant, totally like it, there's this huge problem where Christianity, where I think that Christianity doesn't have a truth crisis. Like the Christianity is absolutely real. Like it, you can show to such a degree that the Bible is, you have all the original words of the Bible pretty much, except for like 0.1%. Like, I, I think there's like first John two, where it says, we share this because of our joy. We share this because of your joy, like utterly trivial. Like, who cares? It doesn't matter. But um, <laughs> we don't have a truth crisis, but we definitely have a character crisis. We have a crisis of credibility. And yeah. so there's a huge problem with church. So that was a big part of my mm. upbringing being back in Washington is walking people through church hurt. We also had the whole mm. Mars Hill thing happened in our area. And it oh, was, was that in your area. Okay. Oh, mm. horrible. So we had Mars Hill Tacoma yeah. in our area and a lot of people went through it. So like some of the guys who were on the podcast for, uh, I think it was Christian today. I'm not sure, but that, that huge podcast they were doing about the Mars Hill and, and Mark Driscoll, uh, a lot of them I knew and, and yeah. walked with them with this stuff. And, uh, and then we had the big thing with Christian Faith Center where there's this huge sex scandal. I mean, it's just horrible stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think God is in the season where he's leading me is he's showing me like, and, and I think he's showing a lot of people like, okay, this is how I want you to do ministry. And, and I'm going to give you clear examples, like how not to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and so he's just, he, I don't think we live in the end times, but I think he's revealing everything right now. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think this is the season where he's revealing everything. So to make mm -hmm. a long story short, that's, um, you know, how I came to be and right. kind of my background. And then the other side of that is I did a huge uh, outreach to the Islamic community in Tacoma too. So yeah, wow. that's awesome. there, there it is. Well, wow. to make a, thanks for coming to my TED talk, guys. There's, there's <laughs> my TED talk. Well, I was so, I was so like, 
just amazed at your story. That is incredible. You don't hear that too often, I would say, just probably because I grew up in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, those moments that are so pivotal where you actually I mean, that's just incredible how God can speak to each person differently. And particularly the thing that I like that comes to my mind after listening to your story is like you needed that. And God knew that you needed that Um, because otherwise it would have been like, oh, so-and-so says so-and-so, you know, and it was like you had this atheist professor that was giving you these books. And if you wouldn't have had that word from God, like, you you know, it's like, well, okay, more likely believe some intellectual person versus you know, whatever that you hear from, if you grow up in the church, that's kind of like wishy-washy. So the fact that it was so like impactful in that moment, it's just like, wow, God is so good that he gives us exactly what we need if we are his, his chosen. And like for you, think about the, the impact then from then on, um, that you have had in the Christian community. It's amazing. It it Um, literally changed my life. And I don't think I mean, you're exactly right. Like God comes to us and then what gives us what we need, not what necessarily we want. So like people right, are like, dreams right, from God since right. then. I'm like, there was only one other dream. And it was like God, like showing me clear, like fork on the road. Cause I was like mm. all hung up on this girl. Of course it was about mm. a girl. And he's like, look, she's going this way. You're going this way. We, I'm down this road. Mm. She's going down here. Do you want to follow me down this road? Cause this is where it's leading. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise I wouldn't get listened. I would have tried really, really hard to pursue. And mm. I was like, Lord, I want you. Mm. Yeah, I love wow. you more. And I wow. want you more because I know with you there's life. Yeah. Right. There is life. There's freedom and then there's hope. And thank God I made that choice. Thank yeah. God I listened to the Lord. But yeah, it's crazy because God's so sovereign and he is so counterintuitive to how we approach. When we think uh, he's going to come one way, he comes the other way. Like if we think he's going to come like to the left, he comes to the right. And I think Mm -hmm. of that story with Elijah where he's on Mount Sinai and he's like, man, I just want to die, God. And I'm going to Mount Sinai to where Moses was. And I want you to appear to me like Moses. I saw your back and I just imagine like God showing his back. It's just like the most jacked back ever. Like I'm just, like, <laughs> he's just ripped. It's just, ah, oh, fire. But like, I think about that story where God, it, he, the, it says that there was a fire, but God was not in the fire. There was the wind, but God mm. was not in the wind. Then God comes as the whisper and he was in the whisper mm. and he comes yeah. utterly different from how Elijah is. And I think that's God's way of saying it. it's like, don't you dare put me in a box right. I come in the way I come. Like I'm the God of the universe. Mm. You cannot put me in a box. I'm beyond mm. your paradigms. I'm beyond mm. your, uh, your human ways of trying to, fit me into what you want me to be. Yeah. It's actually the other way around. And I think sometimes I think that's why it's so important to have that quiet time with the Lord because he is in that quiet, that calm. Um, And at my church, we've been going through Psalms 30. We've been like really deep diving into it. And like he was talking about how a lot of times we need that rest and we need that time of just being quiet and resting in God's presence. And I like that when you said, you know, he's in a whisper because he's such a mighty God, but what brings you in is a whisper. If someone's like, if someone lowers their voice, it pulls you in. Like it makes you have to kind of, you know, be quiet where you want the loud, you want like God to come in with like lightning and thunder. And like, yes, he can do all those things, obviously. But like you were saying, like that whisper is the way that God communicated best, which is such like a beautiful 
um, just like that we've talked about on the podcast before, like there's this like feminine and masculine side to the Lord. And it's so amazing to see in that softer side is sometimes what we actually need to, you know, to receive him. Um, and which is really cool. I did want to ask you, so I know, um, so, uh, you recommended the Hillsong documentary. So I started watching it last night, which is really interesting because I didn't know about the whole history of, um, Hillsong. And it was basically about talking about, um, that church being very like cult like and a lot of those things, which, you know, I know it's a very popular church, a very big church. Um, so I started watching that and you mentioned the church that you went to. Um, they did a lot about speaking in tongues, um, in church and in a public space. And from what I've always learned and what I understand is that speaking in tongues is not necessarily, um, and you know, correct me if I'm, you know, wrong, but it's not always necessarily, if it's in a public space, space. It's usually you need an interpreter and it's to communicate a language that is a real language, Spanish, whatever it is, um, uh, French, whatever, to another person when you are witnessing to them, but you have to have a translator. And then I've also heard from pastors that they have communicated personally one-on-one with the Lord speaking in tongues. I've never experienced that. Um, I've gone to churches where everyone's speaking gibberish, saying weird things. And I have always felt very uncomfortable and I don't go to churches like that. I grew up non-denominational. That was just something that we did not do. Um, so I'm curious to hear your take on that because obviously it's something that you experienced. And then I was watching that Hillsong documentary and they were talking about that too. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of pick your brain on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I would consider myself, here's a theological term for you. I, I am a continuous so I believe the gifts continue to, for today. I don't think the gifts end. Yeah. Um, now, the gifts or the primary function of the gifts is not necessarily to bring like, you know, the health, well-being, prosperity gospel says the gifts are for you to benefit from, right? And actually right. the gifts, what they're meant for is they're pointing to the eschatological, the future coming. That's a fancy way of saying the future coming of Christ being exalted as the king. So it's the reversal that the gifts like speaking in tongues, healing, prophecy, it's the reversal that things that are decaying and dying in this world, that healing comes. We're, when we pray for healing, we're, God, we're saying, God, what you're going to do in the future, bring a little bit of that in the present. Bring that a little bit in the present to show that indeed, to encourage us to have us, to give us faith that the final healing that our hearts really desire, that our bodies really desire is going to come at the end, that our soul really desires. So the gifts are, are to point to Christ. That's yeah. the key. Now, mm-hmm. as, as far as the issue of speaking in tongues, <clears throat> Paul makes it pretty clear. He's like, look, like you can speak in angelic tongues. He mentions that, but he yeah. says it's better to speak one coherent word in an assembly than it is to babble in 10,000 words and right. It's much more beneficial. And of course you have to have an interpreter. And that's yeah. also part of that is too, that there's accountability so that you can't just simply say, well, I'm speaking in tongues and God's like, you know, strike me down. And I'm like having this word and like, you just need to give me all your money. Like that, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. safeguards yeah. and rails so to speak, like I'm a, I'm a charismatic with, with a seatbelt, 
so to speak. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you, there's, there's regulations, there's guards to prevent abuse. But to answer your question, like speaking in tongues, the whole point of that is again, like it, and it's also to teach, it's another language that's, that's going to be where you're going to have, you're going to have the ability to speak a language to somebody to share the gospel that you couldn't speak under your own power. So that's, that's my whole thing on speaking in tongues. But yeah, yeah, and I would say like 99% of churches don't follow that procedure where they have an interpreter speaking. It it just, I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. And I grew up, yeah. And I grew up in Calvary chapels and it's very doctrinally sound church um, or churches. And so that was always something like my dad, he's like, he's just a Bible scholar. And he always told me like, if you're, you know, trying out churches and things like that. Um, and the congregation is, you know, flopping on the ground and, you know, speaking and doing all these crazy things and the, and the attention is on them and it's not on the Lord, you know, that you're not at the right place. Um, because I just grew up in a place where that just was not the norm. And we always talked about, you know, speaking in tongues is just another language that exists. Obviously, like you said, I know that there is that, you know, more spiritual, but that's like your one-on-one relationship with the Lord. If, you know, that's a gift that God has given you, or that's the way you communicate with God. Um, Like I said, I've never personally experienced that, but when it comes to that, speaking the gospel, just another language to someone, because you don't seek that language and God has now blessed you to like it in order to witness to that person. So I always, you know, I always, my dad always made it very clear that like, you know, you need to make sure that you pay attention um, when you go to certain churches and what they're doing. And unfortunately I, um, with a friend, I checked out a church. I was hunting around for a new church. I just wanted um, to get involved somewhere. And thankfully me and my boyfriend found a really great church, but um, we went to a church in San Marcos and they've actually planted a couple campuses around San Diego County now. And it was very much so like the Hillsong kind of church. The, um, you know, in that documentary, it was talking about how a lot of the music, like just the way that it's written, it brings that very um, emotional response to, you know, your experience that you're having in church. And it's not necessarily, necessarily that you're not experiencing God, but the music is written in order for you to feel a certain way. And that's why music is so powerful. And we have to pay attention to what we listen to. Um, But anyways, I visited church there and I went with a friend and I told her and it was very similar, you know, um, just, you know, people are, you know, more so whispering in tongues. They had a lot of like name it, claim it kind of pastors came on and spoke Mm -hmm. and everything was about tithing and giving and giving, which obviously you tithe at the goodness of your heart and God will bless that. But that doesn't mean that if you don't, that you're not going to be blessed. Um, but anyways, I told her I had to, I had to talk to her after the service and I, and she's like, Oh, how did you like it? And they're very into politics and stuff. And I said, you know, the political stuff is cool. But, um, you know, that's not what Christianity is. That's not what true faith is. That's all a show and everything with the lights and the smoke. And not that I think like, you know, the the production of things nowadays are crazy. Like even just some of the graphics that they use in church, it's really cool. Like people are using their talents. But um, I had to kind of like let her know. I was like, this is not... I was like, this is a very like hyper spiritual church and in the worst sense. So, and it's unfortunate you get sucked in. 
You you do. And it's um, what we're dealing with nowadays. And if you guys don't know the documentary, you guys should definitely check it out. If people are listening. Mm-hmm. It's a great documentary. There's some really things I definitely like. As far as like the music, when the lady was talking about like the music's used is emotional manipulate. Like, look, that's what music's supposed to do. Like, it's yeah. gonna it's gonna tug on my mm-hmm. heartstrings. Like, yeah, right. To Josh, what's his name? You raise me up. Sorry, I'm terrible at singing. You raise <laughs> me up. That, that song. I yeah. that, you raise yeah. me up. Like, every time I listen to that song, even when mm-hmm. I wasn't a believer, I would cry. It's just yeah, right. what music does. But right. there also is this element of like we are going to create this business model for a church mm. basically get more bank more in our bank account bigger buildings and more butts in the seat that's yeah, right. the it's not making disciples it's not building god's kingdom it's about right. building our kingdom right. more importantly and we're going to put people in front that are going to fit the cultural like how do I put this? The cultural, like what's appealing to our culture. So we're going to put someone really good looking. We're going to put someone that's real hip. That's wearing Supreme. That's right. You know, they have that guy pastors and sneakers on there who is just yeah. like, I don't know what guess. Dude, I, I follow that. that Instagram. I'm like, about it until this documentary. I'm going to really? see you. Are, have you seen it or heard about it, Katie? That the, uh, pre, pre, Oh yeah. The documentary. I just haven't sneakers. watched to be honest, I've been following along pretty closely. Um, I just haven't watched the documentary, but I've been listening to news reports about it and following the very specific oh, details I of, of the whole situation. That. Yeah, and it's it's pretty crazy. It um, is. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to ask a follow-up question regarding that. Sure. So we see, like you had mentioned, having some just really unfortunate situations in the church and experiencing some church hurt. Um, you know, we kind of have this blanket term church hurt, but really it's just people who hurt us and happen to be a part of the church. But have you seen, especially with all of this Hillsong, you know, stuff coming out, and then we see a lot of these very powerful, very influential, very, very cultured um, pastors such as Stephen Furtick or, um, you know, some of these mega churches that we see yeah. where the pastors are almost more like celebrities than pastors. Yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to get your your kind of take on what have you seen a have you seen a correlation between maybe some of this business model of a church and a higher correlation to church hurt or like is that something you experience and also how yeah. can we avoid a church like that and how can we actually contribute to the body of Christ in a way that's healthy in a way that supports one another and, and builds up the church and doesn't create this um, almost like business model of of a church and and these celebrities and then before we know it we're really putting people on pedestals and this business model on a pedestal and we're not putting christ at the center of our focus and right. so kind of like how that all correlates and what your take is on that on how to it's a, really it's a, be wise and discerning yeah it's a great question what you asked and it's something i've been thinking about for a few years i think that de- definitely in the business model that the church has adopted that we have to have like a the pastor the head pastor is really a ceo the board is like an investment board and we're going to put business people on the board definitely hurts because you're making everything transactional yeah you know it's everything it, you so when you make a so when you turn the church a body the body of christ into a business i mean when you make a body a business it all it becomes and i'm just going to be a little graph it becomes a whore essentially mm. what it does and their whole purpose of the church is again, in a business, is self-preservation and building the brand. 
not about people. It's not about the kingdom. Right. It's not even about like even the pastors because the pastors become expendable. It's about the brand. We have mm. the cult of the brand and celebrity pastors are a part of the brand. Like the pastors don't, don't conform to Christ. The brand doesn't conform to Christ. It's like about the brand. To give you an example that one of the churches I was a part of was called Life Center Downtown. And I'm probably going to get in trouble if anyone from there hears this, but like they were talking, they were not in the downtown area. Like they're going to somewhere where it was at a college campus and it was cheaper. It financially made a lot of sense. And that that's cool. But he, the guy was like, well, I don't want to move to this particular church um, and get an actual building because it's not in the downtown area and it doesn't fit the brand. So not that we're making decisions based on ministry, not that we're making decisions based on how do we steward God's money well or where are the people at and like where where do we need to be like the hospital of the broken and the sick because that's what the church is and our museum of good looking people is the hospital for the sick and the broken. Mm-hmm. We're making decisions based on our brand. And quite honestly, like us moving further in downtown is actually going to ironically enough get us away from people because there's no residential areas. It's all business areas. So we're going down there just for the sake of going down there. And so it turns ministry into this transaction and it's focused on the CEO, this personality, and it turns into essentially a cult. How we can prevent that from happening is that we demand better from our pastors and we hold them to a standard because what's happened is in the Catholic church in the 13th, 14th century, was a hierarchy enforcing from the top down. You have to have relationship with the church in order to have relationship with God. Because of uh, America and what we want, we want this like, you know, super pastor, this cool guy or what a cool girl or whatever it is, the the highly idealized version of ourselves that we wish we were Mm. and what we want in a pastor. We're actually forcing that individual to become the arbiter if you will or the mediator in which we have relationship mm. with god because mm. he's a godly man like the godly mm. man syndrome like he's such a godly man he has this like unique mm. relationship with jesus mm. and like he has this special connection that i yeah. don't yeah. Um, and it's such crap because what the bible says is that you're all saints in christ that you're all right. righteous in christ second corinthians 5 21 God made him who knew no sin to become sin. So we become the righteousness of Christ. Meaning this, every believer that walks through those doors and really anybody has intrinsic moral value because they're made in the image of God. Even unbelievers, they're made in the image of God. They have intrinsic moral value and people who are made and believe in Jesus are made righteous. They're as righteous as the pastor up there. So right. like we're all sinners. We're all on equal footing. Right. I don't care what you wear. I don't care how eloquent you are. I don't care yeah. how good looking you are. You and I right. are on the same level. Yeah. Why are we elevating people on the platform? Right. And so we're looking to these leaders because simply put, they're the best version of what we want to be and what we want mm. of our pastors. Mm. It's like what uh, Israel said to God, like we want a king. But God's like, I am your mm-hmm. king. But yeah, we want yeah. it just like all the other nations. Right. Well, okay, I'll give you a king. And this is, God's given us a king. God's given us mm-hmm. what we wanted. This is God's yeah. judgment. Is he gives us incompetent leaders. John Calvin said that. It's like, mm-hmm. if you want to know God's wrath, like he usually gives us incompetent leaders to mm-hmm. lead us. 
And it leads to total destruction because we're putting people in positions of authority in the church that lack mm. character. Right. And so, and that, that's so counterintuitive to how God chooses because God chooses the foolish things of the world and right. not to be like foolish, like the Joker, but like foolish as in we would never, ever pick this person to be in church leadership. Like you think of like Jesus, like when he's planning a church with the disciples, with Simon the Zealot, I mean, Simon the Zealot pretty much was a terrorist. Like if you know anything about the Zealots, they're like ISIS, the Jewish version oh, against wow. Rome. And Jesus is like, hey, guess what? He's going to be one of the apostles, and I'm going to send him to mm -hmm. basically plant a church. Like, mm -hmm. we would never think in a million years, oh, hey, it would be great to put an ISIS leader to plant a church. Mm -hmm. We would think that's a terrible ministry decision. Apparently, mm -hmm. Jesus thought otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so, like, God doesn't pick how we pick because we look at appearances. God looks at the yeah. heart. Yeah. And so that's our big problem is that we're not discerning. We're not putting people, yeah. we're just putting people up there because they fit a particular build. Like even the whole Carl Lentz thing, it's like he was eloquent. He was good looking. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, sleek and cool and he could reach mm -hmm. the celebrities. And if we get celebrities right. going to our church, that would validate us instead of Christ validates us. And it doesn't right. matter to church. Yeah. It's really like, it's just bizarre. Like, yeah. Shouldn't Christ validate your faith and not celebrities? Shouldn't Christ be the one to validate yeah. you? Not, you know, beautiful people or famous people. Because right. right. that stuff goes away. Because look at right. look at Hillsong now and all the problems they're having just because they cut corners and they're like, we're not going to put people in places of power that have character. Mm -hmm. um, they're just literally being destroyed um, and yeah. has lost all credibility. Right. And, and really, like a lot of churches in this area were... They've, they've lost credibility just based on, I mean, th this is the crazy thing. What we see in the news with Hillsong, it's, if it's happening on a bigger level in a lot of different places, mm -hmm. it's probably times a thousand down below, like all the other yeah. that we don't hear about. Yeah. And it's a crisis of character. So how we solve this is that we demand more out of our pastors and that we take our pastors off the throne and take ourselves off the throne. And we put Jesus back on there. And yeah. we realize that pastors... Are kind of broken. Like mm -hmm. I've been a pastor. I'm kind of messed up, dude. Yeah. Like, I need, I need Jesus. Yeah. I need grace. They're not these super godly men that right. are going to have this like special relationship with God. Like that right. special relationship you think your pastor has, but doesn't really have, mm -hmm. like, you have that you have friendship right. with God. Like the, the only difference I would say between me and anyone else, if anything, that a believer is like, I know God is my friend. And a lot of mm. people don't know God as a friend, yeah. that there's no familiarity and intimacy. Like there's no personal relationship. It's like, I'm going to have personal relationship through my pastor and vicariously mm. enjoy this relationship right. he has with Jesus that I wish I could. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lack of accountability for a lot of these leaders is a problem as well, yeah. where they're too, I mean, really they're, they're too popular. They're too famous to really even be held accountable by a local, um, I mean, you know, having an accountability partner or having a small men's group, it's like these pastors are too good to be a part of actually shepherding their, their flock, yeah. which I've seen that in some of the churches I've attended even. And, um, it just really does miss the whole point of like, okay, a pastor should be a shepherd. And so I think looking for that, I would add that to, um, something to look for in a church, church is, is the pastor shepherding his flock, um, 
and or is he more focused on just numbers and social media and his following and whatever it may be um which yeah i think that's really good insight so appreciate you sharing that yeah, yeah and, and just to touch on what lexi asked about the whole tithing thing and what churches will really focus on is like you have to give 10 percent, and like god will bless yeah. you and then just can i add a biblical caveat you are under no obligation to give 10 percent mm. 10 is for the temple mm. it's for the priest the levite priesthood there's no levite priesthood anymore like mm-hmm. yeah, my the, dad always says that he's always like tithing is more um old testament but we want to give to our ministry so we can have a ministry to you know be a part of yeah also give and give with a cheerful heart give with right. time right. finances like we should give Christians yeah. should be the most generous people, right. and the happiest people ever, because of what has been done for us at the cross, and what's God continuously doing for us, and God will bless us. Like there's an element of like the the open hand does receive more. Like the more mm-hmm. we give, the more we receive, because God right. wants us to bless, yeah. and and right. be blessed. He wants us to actually like enjoy. So I'm not like saying right. popularity and fame and money are bad. Like they're no. good things, but when you elevate them to God things, that's right. That's and right. you're under no obligation to to tithe ten percent. Anybody who says that, run, run, yeah. and they're like forcing you to like run far away. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, like sure. similar, like, run away, never return. <laughs> yes, it's, right. It's interesting. Bottom. It's interesting you brought that up because I was just doing a a deep study in tithing, and and Jake and I were having a conversation. Jake, my husband, um, we were having a conversation about tithing and giving, and. Um, I was just reading through what Paul says about giving and giving. God cares about our heart and our heart posture. And he will bless the person that is selfless, that is generous, but we're not giving so that we can receive. And I think that's the big difference um, between giving with a heart that there's conditions like, okay, if I give this, God bless me, God, that he won't bless that. He He truly wants our our heart to be in the right place where we're giving out of living by the spirit essentially. Um, and, and having a a posture of, okay, I'm giving because I've been blessed with so much more than I deserve and can never, ever claim to deserve anything. And it's out of that humbleness giving to to purse or to, um, grow the church essentially. And, and to, um, and really, be a light of Christ through our giving and our generosity. And I think that's something that oftentimes is so lost. Like you mentioned, like give the 10% and then be done. And like, you know, and it's like this like command and it's like, okay, but actually why are we giving? Like, where's our heart at? And like, yeah, what purpose are we giving our money to? And yeah. So it's important to think about that. Everything goes back to our heart posture and um, really what, what is the motivation behind what, our actions are and what we're doing. Right. And I think, and, and look, and if you want to give 10% as a standard, fine, fine. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I could care less, but also as a church, and I think this is something to help with transparency and accountability and accountability piece is key is that the church should never, ever not disclose anything regards to what they're spending their money on. Like yeah. ever their, right. their finances need to be public. It needs to be out in the open. And here's the other thing. There's, there should be no more, unless it's like an extreme circumstance to protect like someone like personally, like as far as just like the abuse victim or somebody like that cannot defend themselves. There should be no more NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. Mm. There should be mm. no more of that. 
There, it just yeah. reeks of, oh, we're trying to hide something. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're embarrassed by something. The church needs to be completely 100% transparent to solve this yeah. credibility crisis. Yeah. Um, Where have you seen that happen most often, the NDAs? Oh my gosh. So many churches do it. Uh, so many churches do it. Um, at Hillsong, they have NDA. So like when you go through Hillsong, you'll see this later when you read or read, watch the documentary is I think your second year at Hillsong College, you have to sign an NDA. You cannot discuss what goes on. In your wow. College. That's crazy. At a college, at yeah. a college, you can't talk about what goes on in your third year, fourth year, whatever it is. You have yep. to sign an NDA. There's, there's a, at one particular church, I won't name it locally, they sign NDAs for abuse victims that were abused by a pastor and they can't talk about their abuse. Like it, and there's another particular church. I, I won't be afraid to name them Christian faith center because, and it's funny enough, like in that documentary, they mentioned uh, Casey tree basically discipled Brian Houston. That's the guy who runs Christian faith center. That's in mm-hmm. my hometown. It's a huge mega church and it's just a heretical prosperity gospel church um, but they signed NDAs with their abuse victims and there was this huge website outlining their abuse and they got their, their attorneys were able to take it down. Um, they, they made it like exposing what happened as far as the abuse, cause there's no accountability. So I think that piece is so critical. Another way people can really hold church accountable when the church itself won't hold itself accountable is the court of public opinion. Is that you have to you have to be fearless and speak out against churches that yeah. harbor abuse and like mm-hmm. you should look and do like oh like I heard this from my friend and like you basing off of just gossip like if it's been shown if it's like you need to say something because a lot of why this abuse happens in, at least in my community a lot of churches are afraid to speak out yeah. they're afraid it's gonna make them look bad they're afraid of blowback they're afraid of like making certain people that tithe a lot of money, mm-hmm. like they'll leave. Like, that's the other thing. It's like, mm-hmm. you talk about tithing. Like we shouldn't, as pastors, we should know who our big donors are. Right. We should have no, it should be blind. So that way yeah. we're not about it. Like, yeah. all right. Oh, well, yeah. it's, it's God owns all the money. Like we, we have to right. trust it. Yeah. But like NDAs are used Quite a bit, even with uh, I know Matt Chandler, when they had their whole thing at with Acts 19, um, there was a bunch of NDAs that were signed, non-disclosure. Mm-hmm. I like Matt Chandler. I like mm-hmm. him a lot. Like, I think Acts 29 or I think it's Acts 29 or Acts 19. At any rate, I like that organization, but they're you're using NDAs and that just reeks of you're hiding something mm-hmm. and you're using yeah. legality to hide it when you yeah. should be mm-hmm and transparent with it. So there it is. Mm. No, definitely. Well, I love this conversation. I think we got into a lot of good stuff. Um, Yeah. And I think a big thing is like making sure that when you're seeking a church, that it's a doctrinally sound church. And, you know, there's always 
there's always going to be churches out there that are, you know, speaking the prosperity gospel. And if they're talking about, oh, if you give, you'll get and all these things like that's just a good, you know, this is just a good reminder that, um, you know, that's not what the gospel is actually about. It's about serving others, loving others, loving Christ and being a direct reflection of Jesus. So if they're teaching anything outside of that, we know that that is just not um, a church that we should be at. And yeah, especially for new believers. So if someone's listening, that is, you know, just starting to get involved in their relationship with the Lord, just really um, one, ask God for guidance and really ask him to give you discernment when it comes to certain churches. Um, But I think this episode is really great. Just helping people um, just kind of figure out, you know, what they should kind of avoid. Um, so yeah. So let us know where can people find you on Instagram and do you have a podcast Instagram page or do you just do it off of your personal? I just do it off my personal. I'm on Apple. It's called Theosis radio. T H E O S I S radio. Um, and I'm on Spreaker, Apple. Um, I'm actually going to try and do an episode right after this since I'm in the oh, studio. Wow. Yeah. Um, um, you can find me at Brendan Saltvik, B-R-E-N-D-A-N, period Saltvik. Um, that's my handle. And and hit me up, like DM me. I'm pretty, pretty open to talk to anybody. Uh, yes. You know, especially if you disagree, like hit me up. Like I definitely want to have a conversation about it. Um, you know, I won't, I won't argue with you. Like I won't be. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, and especially if you've been through church hurt, like I totally understand it. Like, please yeah. like, let me know, like, if you want to talk, cause you're not alone and like, God loves you. And then yeah. he has a plan for your life and he's going to walk with you through this. So it's yeah. like the big thing. It's like, yeah. So there, there's where you can find me and uh, yeah. Perfect. Awesome. awesome. Thank you guys. So great. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show and I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks guys for listening. We'll see you guys in a couple of weeks for another episode. Bye.